turn with me in Jeremiah to chapter 40. Jeremiah chapter 40, and, and we're going to cover several chapters this morning, just like last week. And some of these chapters we've already been in, now that we're getting close to the end of Jeremiah, uh, we are revisiting some of these things that when we were looking at some things chronologically earlier in the book, we've already seen. Because these things, if you were looking at the timeline, have already happened. But Jeremiah is designed in a certain way. And for example, this morning, it's pretty easy to see why it's designed the way it is. The first uh, few chapters that we're going to look at, beginning in, in chapter 40, we're going to see one narrative, one storyline. And then we'll see uh, a couple of different things that are connected in heart, but maybe not in chronology to what's going on. Uh, this morning, the, the sermon title is Lack of Faith leads to dangerous places. So when I prepared this back uh, at the, you know, last year, beginning of the year, this year, uh, this was the title that I came up with, but then I added this subtitle, uh, Lack of Faith Leads to Dangerous Places, So Does Faith. And both people, the faithless and the faithful, are in dangerous places on this side of eternity in this passage that we're looking at today. Now, at the end, I will emphasize that for those of us who have faith, one day there will be no more pain, no more suffering. Our reward and, and the good that God has for us will be fully realized one day. Um, whereas those who lack faith, the same will not be said. Now, I want to clarify that I'm not talking about um, how much faith we have because if we have faith the size of a mustard seed, it can move mountains. It's, it's the, the depth of our faith that's different for each of us. But do we have faith? And I don't want to get too much into my sermon. I'll start stepping on toes. But, um, you know, a lot of what we're going to be looking at today has to do with the decisions that we make, the choices that we make, because how else is our faith reflected except through our actions and our works, as we've been talking about. And... So how many of you have ever been in a situation or a time in your life where you didn't know what to do or whom to trust or if you could even trust yourself? Y'all been there before? It's, it's a difficult season. And I think that right now a lot of us find ourselves in a situation like that. Maybe we've got a little bit too much time to think. Maybe that's all it is. Or maybe it's just the, the, the fractions in our culture, the, the, the different factions and fractions uh, in our culture and, and, and fractures in our culture. And maybe it's just the uh, unprecedented days that it, for our lifetime, our, our lifetimes at least, maybe it's the unprecedented days that we're living in. Uh, but... It just seems like right now a lot of us are having a hard time knowing those things, but we're in good company because all throughout the Bible, we will find times where people are not sure what to do and we get to watch their process. Different people had different processes, processes, uh, where if you look at Jesus, when there were a lot of times when a, a life change was about to happen in his life, and, and this is God we're talking about, right? He would go away 
and spend time alone with the Father. That was part of his process. He would make, there were, we, would, we would hear him. He would give us examples of prayer, of, of what to say. And, and we, so we see that. And today we're going to see that in the life of Jeremiah in a positive way. But we're also going to see it in the lives of those around him in maybe not such a positive way. And so in Jeremiah chapter 40, verses 1 through 6, and what we're going to do here is I'm going to read a few verses from this chapter. We'll look at the points, and since we're covering so many chapters, I'll make sure that we have those points up on the screen for you. Um, but I'm going to be summarizing a, a lot of what we're looking at. And so I do encourage you, just like last week, to go back and to read what we're not reading here today. But in Jeremiah chapter 40, verse 6, the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord after Nebuchadnezzar, the captain of the guard, had let him go from Ramah when he took him bound in chains along with all the captives of Jerusalem and Judah who were being exiled to Babylon. Now, this is something we saw last week. This is going to be a more intimate look. Uh, it's it's going to continue the story of what happened. Um, but if you remember last week, we saw where Babylon finally invaded Jerusalem. And they have destroyed the city, destroyed the temple, and they are taking those who lived in Babylon as exiles. And we did see last week where they did spare some people and allowed them to stay in the land. Primarily, it was the impoverished of the area. They gave them land and they told them to take care of it and, and things like that. And so we'll see uh, some more people involved in this story. But uh, if you remember, and we're going to see this explained again, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, who was one of Nebuchadnezzar's military leaders, he told Jeremiah that he was going to um, let him go. And so let's, let's keep reading and see what happens in the details. Verse 2. The captain of the guard took Jeremiah and said to him, The Lord your God pronounced this disaster against this place. Jeremiah knows about this because it was through Jeremiah whom God uh, Announced this prophecy or prophesied what was going to happen, this, this disaster, this raw, this bad stuff. And so in verse 3, he continues, and he says, The Lord has brought it about and has done as he said. You know, God's good about doing that. He's good about fulfilling his promises and doing what he says he will do. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is going to be speaking to, you know, Jude, Judeans in general, and he says, because you, Judeans, sinned against the Lord and did not obey his voice, this thing has come upon you. Now, now he's going to talk to Jeremiah specifically. Now, behold, I release you today from the chains on your hands. If it seems good to you to come with me to Babylon, come, and I will look after you well. But if it seems wrong to you to come with me to Babylon, do not come. See, the whole land is before you. Go wherever you think it good and right to go. So he's giving him a choice here. He's saying, hey, come with me. I'll take care of you. Or look before you. All this land, you can go wherever you want to go. Verse 5. If you remain, he's going to give him some advice. If you remain, then return to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, son, son of Shaphan, whom the king of Babylon appointed governor of the cities of Judah. And dwell with him among the people. Or go wherever you think it is right to go. So the captain of the guard gave him an allowance of food and a present and let him go. Now I want to pause here for a second because we're seeing a lot. 
He's basically saying, hey, if you come back to Babylon with me, I will take care of you. And God has already told anyone who would surrender earlier in, in this timeline, earlier in this process, if, if the Judeans would surrender and go to live in exile in Babylon, then he was going to take care of them. Now, unfortunately, not everybody listened to that. Not everybody surrendered. Uh, many people fought. Many people died. And we're, we are where we are at this point. And Nebuchadnezzar says, if you want to come with me, then I will take care of you. Or you can stay here. And But if you stay here, I encourage you to live with Gedaliah. Now, if you remember from last week, Gedaliah is the person that Nebuchadnezzar made governor. He, he is a Judean, and, and Nebuchadnezzar made him the, the governor because there is no king anymore, the governor of that area. And, uh, and so... But then there was a third option. Not only could he go with Babylon, not only could he go with Gedaliah, but he could go wherever he wanted to. He said, you do what you think is right. And he has the, these options. Um, do we know if any of these options are wrong? I, I, don't, I don't think so. Uh, in fact, God has encouraged people to go to Babylon, so it would not be wrong, I don't think, for Jeremiah to go to Babylon. Um, but, but we do have God's call on Jeremiah to prophesy to the people of Judah. Now, there are probably more people of Judah in Babylon than there are here. But Jeremiah has a choice on his hands where the word of the Lord, as far as we know, did not come to him and say, Jeremiah, I want you to choose this thing. And so when we don't have clear direction from God, what do we do? And so we'll talk about that. But let me read this last verse. Let's see what he did. Well, actually, in verse 5, I'm sorry. In verse 5. Another interesting note for those of us who have been studying Jeremiah since the first week of February. How many times has Jeremiah's people been good to him? I don't, I don't remember many, right? I mean, good to him as in somebody got him out of a cistern and put him back in the jail. Uh, but, you know, I am thankful that Ebed Melech did that, as we saw in the passage last week. But um, for the most part, they've not been good. And look at here, Nebuchadnezzar is giving him a choice of where he wants to go. He was not given that choice when the king of, when, with any of the kings that he lived under, right? I mean, maybe Josiah, but uh, Jehoiakim, Jeconiah, or Jehoiakim, um, Zedekiah. He, he, was, he wasn't given these choices. He was not given this choice. And so here he's given that choice. And then in, in verse 5, we see... That he is given an allowance of food. He's given a present, which is probably something to live on, money. And, and then he is let go. He's given his freedom. So we see that already, and like, before they even get back to Babylon, the Babylonians have treated Jeremiah better than the Judeans ever did, and his own people. And so how sad is that? But we see that sometimes. Sometimes it's our very own people who... Who make, make life hard for us, whoever that, that group of people might be, family, whatever. Verse 6. Then Jeremiah went to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, at Mizpah, and lived with him among the people who were left in the land. And so Jeremiah goes back, and he does. He, he lives with Gedaliah. Now, Gedaliah, uh, he, Jerusalem's destroyed, so he can't, he can't set up base there. So he's setting it up. In Mizpah, which is a little bit north of, of J Jerusalem, and Jeremiah is going to go and live with him there. So that brings us to our first point: 
When given options, and again, especially when we don't know what to do, when given options, choose what best glorifies God. Now, this might not be evident, but when given options, we need to look around and we need to ask ourselves, which of these three choices honors God the most? And Jeremiah, we don't know his thought process here. We don't know why he chose to stay. But I would assume that it is because God has called him to be a prophet there in Judah. And that that's the reason he is saying he is doing what God called him to do. But when it's not, sometimes it's just not obvious. I can remember many times in my life where I had options and all the options look good. So what do you do? And you have to, you have to choose the one that's going to honor God the most from our human perspective. So verse uh, point A or sub point, if that's unclear after prayer, use wisdom. So sometimes even after praying, we don't know the right thing to do. How many of y'all have ever been there? You had options, you prayed about those options, and you didn't know what to do. Anybody? I see lots of hands going up. It, that's, that's a common thing in life as we're trying to pursue what God desires. Uh, and, and by the way, sometimes it's not that all the options seem good. Sometimes it's that all the options seem bad, right? Because... Yes, Jeremiah has some freedom here, but let's look at his choices. You can go to Babylon, a place that is not your home, and basically live in a relaxed version of slavery. Or you can stay home where Jerusalem and the temple have been destroyed and where there's, there are inevitably, because this happens every time a place is destroyed like this, there are going to be power struggles and people who want to be in charge. So you get to be in the middle of that. Or you can just go to this new land where you don't know anybody because the land is set before him. He can go wherever he wants. And so what is he going to do? And in, in our lives, we're faced with options like that sometimes. Sometimes we have a few great options and we get to choose between one, two, or more. Sometimes we only seem to have bad options. And we have to choose the best option of the bad options. So what do we do? Well, we do the same thing. Which choice is going to glorify God the most? And if that's unclear, after praying, then we use the wisdom that God has given us. Now, we have to be careful with this because sometimes our desire to make a choice is based on selfishness. Sometimes our hearts can be deceptive above all things. That's scripture. Um, we have to make sure that we are seeking what God desires and what honors Him. Um, but we're not mind readers. We can't always know. We're not God. We can't always know the future. We can't always know the best choice before we make it. And so what about when we make that choice and it's the wrong way? Well, for those of us who have faith in Christ, we can relax in grace and know that our sins are covered. And even if we make, not only if we make a bad choice, but if we do wrong, God can forgive us and he can help us. Uh, and, and so that's encouraging. Now, we're not going to read all these passages, but in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 7 to, through 12, what we see is Jeremiah, as we, we saw in verse 6, he goes with Gedaliah. And 
there were some surviving soldiers who were left in the land. There were some poor people who were left in the land. And, and all these people gathered together. They gathered to, to where Gedaliah was at Mizpah. And he basically told them, hey, don't be afraid to serve the king of Babylon. It, it's going to go well with you if you do that. And then, then they even collected a bountiful harvest. Um, of course, there's only a few people, and there's lots of land to collect this harvest from. And we're not even told, we see no evidence that Babylon even taxed this harvest. And for some of these people who were left in the land, and Babylon, the Babylonians purposely left um, the, the impoverished people, this might be the best they've ever had. As, as terrible as that sounds. I'm not saying they were glad Jerusalem was destroyed or the temple was destroyed, but this is their reality. So in chapter 40, toward the end of that chapter, in verses 13 through 16, uh, Johanan, who was one of those soldiers who was left in the land, uh, a Judean, he comes to town and he warns Gedaliah that Ishmael, and Ishmael is another person in the land there uh, that we are not familiar with, but we're about to get to know a little about him. Uh, that Ishmael wants to kill him. Ishmael wants to kill Gedaliah. Now, Ishmael is uh, in the lineage of the next king. But what has God said about the kingdom? It's destroyed. There, there's not going to be a next king until Jesus. Right? There's not going to be a king uh, from the lineage of David until we get to Jesus. And so... This guy named Ishmael wants to kill Gedaliah, so we think, so he can become king. Uh, but he ignores, Gedaliah ignores Johanan's warning. And he even accuses him of lying. He's saying, why are you saying this about him? And he goes about his business. And then we get to Jeremiah chapter 41. The very next verse, in verses 1 through 3. Uh, Ishmael and ten men come to town. Under the guise of, you know, working with Gedaliah. They have this meal where Gedaliah is present. And some of the Judean soldiers that were left in the land are there protecting Gedaliah. And then there's also Babylonians, the Chaldean soldiers, who are there protecting Gedaliah at Nebuchadnezzar's command. And Ishmael and his ten men kill all of them. And so, what if Gedaliah would have would have listened to Johanan's warning. Now, this isn't the first time in Scripture that we see someone given advice that they don't take. It's common. It's, it's not rare to see that happen. And, and that's not, and unfortunately, that's not the end of the results of Gedaliah not listening to Johanan's advice. Because in verses 4 through 8, the next day after he killed Gedaliah, uh, here come 80 men from where Israel used to be, from the northern kingdom. Here come 80 men ready to worship where the temple was, because the temple's been destroyed. Um, but they come ready to worship, and Ishmael kills all 80 of them also. And, I mean, think about the implications of this. These men probably hoped that since the war was over, Maybe, maybe the northern and southern kingdoms, which were split, in, you know, because of David's sin, but after his reign, uh, Israel was split into a northern and southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. 
And now that both have been destroyed, maybe they can reunite and maybe they can begin to worship at the temple again. But that's not going to happen yet. Uh, in fact, we already know how long people are going to be in exile and how long it's going to be before they are allowed uh, to come home and rebuild the temple, rebuild Jerusalem. We've been told it's 70 years, not a few days, as is the case here. And so Ishmael takes all the people and he, he's going to take them as prisoners to his home, but we're going to pause right there because this brings us to our second point. Point number two, when given advice... Listen carefully, even if it's not what you want to hear. When given advice, listen carefully, even if it's not what you want to hear. Uh, how many of you have ever been given advice that you didn't want to hear? That's the first question everybody raised their hand to. No, uh, it happens all the time, right? And, and sometimes that advice is offensive, right? Sometimes it's... They, the people giving the advice don't even have our best interest at heart. Uh, sometimes it's, it's hard to listen to that kind of advice. Uh, but one of my mentors, as many of you have been given the same advice, uh, advised me to always listen to advice. That doesn't mean you have to take the advice, but always listen to advice, listen to criticism, because usually there's a grain of truth in it. Even if it's not meant for our good, usually there's a little bit of truth in it, not always. And so what I try to do is listen to what is said, process it. And for me, I do better at if it is offensive, uh, that's okay. Keep replaying it in your head. You might not be able to do that right away because it, it could be too painful. It might, you might not be in a place where you could listen to it. It might be months before you can go back to that advice. But Go back to the advice and just ask God, is there anything true in here? And sometimes, of course, it's easy to listen to people's advice because they obviously love you and they obviously want to do good for you. And sometimes with those two things, a third thing comes up um, where what they're telling you is what you want to hear. That advice is easy to listen to. But when someone's coming to you and telling you, get a liar. You're about to be killed by Israel, even though you've just been put in charge of being the governor of this land by Nebuchadnezzar himself. Even though you have Judean and Chaldean military uh, men guarding you, you're going to be killed. Well, that's advice that you probably don't want to hear. But we need to listen to it. We need to investigate it. We need to look into this thing. He just, uh, Gedaliah just dismissed this offhand. And so we don't need to do that. Even if it's not what we want to hear, we need to listen carefully. Which brings us to the sub-point. Advice is not always helpful, right? Not all the advice that we're given is always helpful. But sometimes it's life-giving. How many of you have ever been given advice that change the direction of your life in a good way. I have. I can remember many times where I was where I sought counsel and I was given advice that was incredibly helpful. Some of those things I've held on to. Some of those things sometimes I didn't even seek the advice. I just got it in a sermon. 
can remember. As some of you know, um, many years ago, I don't, uh, I guess nine, ten years ago, I was uh, at my, the first church where I was a pastor, at Jenny Baptist Church, and my mentor, Brandon Massey, was there to preach a sermon, and he was, it was a revival, and he's preaching this sermon about how you need to be ready to say yes to whatever God leads you and calls you to do. I've told this more than once before. It, it was a theme of ours one year. Now, how I missed he left after I preached this sermon, no one else is allowed to leave right now, okay? So, but Brandon preaches this sermon. Um, your yes needs to be on the table. Whatever God asks, the answer is yes. Wherever he tells you to go, whatever he asks you to do, your answer needs to be yes before the question is even asked. And um, I thought, man, am I glad my people are hearing this because my church members really need to hear this sermon. And then I went home and I was looking over my notes and I was like, oh, maybe I need to hear this sermon. That's a novel notion, huh? How many of y'all have ever experienced that, where you, you realize, oh my goodness, God was, was speaking that text directly to my soul, to my heart. And so, with that said, I, we, Rose and I had already been approached about something that we said no to, and we began praying about it, and it was, a, it was whether we would go work for the Arkansas Baptist State Convention or not. And... Uh, then we actually started praying about it after <laughs> that sermon was preached. And so uh, the advice, I didn't seek the advice, and the person wasn't specifically advising me, but sometimes that's how advice works. Sometimes advice comes from the least likely of places. Sometimes advice comes from people we don't even trust. And how do we know that Gedaliah did not trust Johanna? Because he didn't listen to him. He accused him of being deceitful. And so uh, advice is not always helpful, but sometimes it's life-given. We need, we need to make sure we're listening to it carefully. When it is given, we're trying to discern whether it is what we need to do or not do. We really need to listen carefully and take it into consideration. Especially in this time where we live today, when we don't know what's true. So many people are saying so many different things, and so many people have... Uh, you know, motives and things that are, are honestly deceptive. And so uh, we, we have to be careful about what we hear, but that doesn't mean we ignore all advice that's given. We listen carefully, even if it's not what we want to hear. And if it's not helpful, it's not helpful. Uh, one of my mentors, speaking a lot about my mentors today, we're talking about advice, right? That's what mentors are there for, right? To help you know how to go in life and what direction to take and what choices to make. Uh, one of them, he used to say that you eat the watermelon and you spit out the seeds, right? You eat the good stuff, and if it's not true, if it's not good, if, if it's bad advice, you just spit it out. You don't have to worry about it. That doesn't mean you don't listen, all right? So, continuing, uh, Ishmael begins taking all his prisoners back. This is Jeremiah 41, verses 9 through 18. He begins taking all of the prisoners uh, back to his home. And uh, Johanan hears what's happening, because Johanan just came in uh, to Mizpah, he told Gedaliah that when Gedaliah uh, it refused his advice, it appears that you know, he left. And when, when, when Johanan hears that Ishmael has killed Gedaliah, 
and the soldiers and the 80 men, then he goes after him. And he and his friends catch up to him and, and begin to free the people. And uh, Ishmael and eight of his men were able to escape. Now, that's probably because they were taking all the people with them. And so when all the people see uh, rescue is coming, they begin to frantically turn around and go back home. But So Ishmael and eight of his men are able to get away. Uh, and, and so... Uh, Johanan leads them to a, a place near Bethlehem. And he does this because he's afraid that if they go back to Mizpah, that maybe Nebuchadnezzar would blame them for Gedaliah's death, and Nebuchadnezzar would take care of them in a, with negative connotation. Not take care of them in a good way, take care of them like in a monster movie way, right? And so uh, they're there in Bethlehem. And that brings us, or, or near, they're near Bethlehem, and that brings us to Jeremiah chapter 42. And so I encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Jeremiah chapter 42. We're going to look at verses 1 through 7. Jeremiah chapter 42, beginning in verse 1. Then all the commanders of the forces, and Johanan the son of Korea, and Jezaniah the son of Hosea, and all the people from the least to the greatest, came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, Let our plea for mercy come before you, and pray to the Lord your God for us, for all his remnant, because we are left with but a few, as your eyes see us. So what are they doing? They're coming to him, and they're humbling themselves, and they're asking for direction. They're asking for advice. They're about to be able to put into practice what we just said, they had some options. With their options, they decided before making a choice to seek Jeremiah and get him to pray for them. And we talked about praying about options earlier. And they're humbling themselves. They're really coming before Jeremiah. It appears that they're coming before Jeremiah ready to hear what is said. And then look at verse 3. That the Lord your God may show us the way we should go and the thing that we should do. Now, there is a little curious warning here that this might not turn out the best. So sorry for the spoiler. But the Lord, our God? No. The Lord, your God. Isn't he their God too? And yet, he, he's saying, the Lord, your God, who will show us the way we should go and all the things that we should do. Verse 4. Jeremiah the prophet said to them, I have heard you. Behold. I will pray to the Lord your God according to your request, and whatever the Lord answers you, I will tell you. I will keep nothing back from you. So he's going to go, and he's going to pray, and then he's going to give them advice. Then they said to Jeremiah, May the Lord be a true and faithful witness against us if we do not act according to all the word with which the Lord your God sends you to us. Okay, so they're saying, Hey, by God, if we don't do what he wants, may he judge us, may he be a faithful witness against us. Now, how many of us want God judging our earthly actions? All right, well, let's continue. Verse 6. Whether it is good or bad, we will obey the voice of the Lord. Now, we've been talking a lot about good and bad in Jeremiah, right? And, and 
here we see it again, whether it is Tobiah or Ra'ah, whether it is good or bad, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we are sending you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of our Lord. Now, the first time I read Jeremiah, not the first time ever, I, I just didn't remember the story, but the first time I read it last year when I was beginning to prepare for this, I thought, okay, we're in chapter 42, and someone is finally going to obey what Jeremiah has prophesied. Someone finally comes to him in humility and asks what the plan is. And so, um, I, I might, might have been wrong about that, because let's keep reading. Uh, at the end of the ten days, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Now, I'm going to summarize chapter 42, verses 8 through 22. But basically, Jeremiah tells Johanan that the Lord says to trust Nebuchadnezzar. Have we heard this before? Yes, throughout the whole book. You've you, you got to trust him. You, you have to do what he wants you to do. If that's going to exile, go in exile. If that's go back to Mizpah, and he, if he wants you to be the governor or somebody else to be the governor, you, you have to trust Nebuchadnezzar. And if you don't, it's not going to go well for you. If you go to Egypt to escape from under Nebuchadnezzar's rule, then God says that he would come and find him. Because God has used Nebuchadnezzar to, to accomplish the punishment of the Judeans that he wanted to do. Not just punishment for punishment's sake, but punishment to revive them. Punishment to help them remember their first love, God. Punishment to bring them to the place that he desired for them to be, a place that was best for them, that was good for them. God was looking out for what was best, and this was what was best. And so Jeremiah says those things, and look at uh, Jeremiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 4. When Jeremiah finished speaking to all the people, all these words of the Lord their God, with which the Lord their God had sent him to them, Azariah, the son of Hosea, and Johanan, the son of Korea, and all the insolent, well, this isn't going to go well, is it? When I, when I saw the word insolent, I, I, I knew where this was going. And all the insolent men said to Jeremiah, you are telling a lie. Here they go again. Poor Jeremiah, right? Can our hearts hurt for Jeremiah for just a second? I mean, God tells the man, well, before he's a man. When he's just a young man, God tells him, you are going to be my prophet. And Jeremiah says, no, more, I'm not. I can't be your prophet. I'm too young. I don't know what to say. I, I can't do it. And God says in chapter 1, I will put the words in your mouth. You will speak what I tell you to speak. You're, you're going to do this. And Jeremiah says, all right, what am I going to do? You're going to go preach to people, and they're not going to listen to you. You're going to go tell them that since they're not listening, Babylon is going to destroy them. Well, he didn't want that job. He didn't sign up for that. He didn't request that. But we have to do what God calls us to do. And Jeremiah's job was what was good for Jerusalem and Judah. Even if it meant the temporary destruction, he had to trust that God knew what he was doing. Now, for time's sake... I have to continue, but here we see that they're accusing him of lying. 
Then look, the Lord our God did not send you to say, do not go to Egypt to live there. But Barak, the son of Neriah, so they're blaming Barak now for something that he hasn't even done. But Barak, the son of Neriah, has sent you against us to deliver us into the hand of the Chaldeans that they may kill us and take us or take us into exile in Babylon. So Johanan, the son of Perea, and all the commanders of the forces and all the people did not obey the voice of the Lord to remain in the land of Judah. And so, in Jeremiah chapter 43, verse 5, through Jeremiah chapter 44, verse 15, we see that the people are going to Egypt, and guess who they're dragging along with them? Jeremiah. Yeah. All the people were willing and ready to go to Egypt, by the way, but they're having, you know, to take Jeremiah as basically a prisoner. And Jeremiah is saying this is not what we should do. And Jeremiah spins uh, th that large chunk of scripture that we're not going to read right now. Um, he spends his time telling them God's going to pour out his wrath. If you do not repent and go back, God is, you cannot hide from God here in Egypt. And then we get to Jeremiah chapter 44, verses 16 and 17. Let's look at this. We, we'll look at the first, all of 16 and the first part of 17. As for the word that you have spoken, now this is uh, all, these, all the people from Judah have come to Jeremiah, and this is them speaking to him. Specifically, uh, the women are speaking to him right now, but this is the heart of all the people. As for the word that you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord, we will not listen to you. So, they're not even going to listen to his advice, much less take it. But we will do everything that we have vowed. Hey, that's good, right? Because Jerusalem's made some pretty, Judeans, Israel and as a whole, they've made some pretty good vows to honor God, to worship God, to live for him. Um, but that's not the vows they're talking about. But we will do everything that we have vowed. Make offerings to the queen of heaven. Pause. Everything that they have vowed, their vows to a foreign god, their, their vows to Ashtaroth, not to Yahweh. They're committed to themselves and their foreign gods, but not to the one true God. And so they continue talking, and in verses 18 through 30, they basically say that their trouble started when they stopped offering sacrifices to this queen of heaven and that they need to go back to it. They're ignoring what actually happened in history, which, as, which is Jeremiah kept telling them, if you don't repent, Babylon is, is coming to destroy us. And uh, when Babylon got there, the people couldn't make their offerings anymore. But the bad stuff happened before that. It happened as soon as the Babylonians left Babylon, as soon as the Chaldeans left. They were in trouble. And so Jeremiah um, warns them they're not going to listen. They think their trouble started when they stopped offering sacrifices to this false god. And they assure him that they're not going to stop worshiping these false gods. And so he assures them that they will not escape destruction. It's just more of the same. Even after the destruction of Judah, after the destruction of Jerusalem, after the destruction of the temple... The people still don't get the idea. And so we can think that, man, 70 years, why that long, God? Well, God knows how long he's going to take to get these people back right with him. 
And so that brings us to our third point. When making statements of faith, follow through. But point A, as long as it's faith in God and what honors him. Because they made statements of faith. Earlier, we will do whatever to Jeremiah, pray for us, we'll do whatever God says. They should have followed through with that one. But you go later, and they say, we will not listen to you because we've already made commitments to the queen of heaven. Well, if your commitments are against God, if they're selfish, if, if they don't honor him, then you should not be making statements of faith and following through with those statements. Which brings us to the, our conclusion, which is chapter 45. Now, chapter 45 isn't part of this story. Of, uh, it's earlier in the timeline. In fact, it's a long time ago, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, as we'll see in, in just a moment. And so this is going back in time, but I do think that there's a purpose for this chapter being right here. And we've already looked at this chapter, but I want us to come back to it, and I want us to look at it again, because it was placed here for a reason. And the reason, I think, is fairly clear. First of all, Barak was just accused, right? He was just accused by Johanan and the other people of that, oh, Barak's turned you against us. This isn't from God. That's what they told Jeremiah. And so uh, that's one reason. But then there's some, also some other things. Now, if you want the context of when this happened, you remember when the king was tearing off pieces of the scroll that had been read and they were throwing it into the fire? This is after that. So... He, that king wasn't listening to what God said either. It's basically exactly what that king was doing. Here's, here's, he's being read what Jeremiah said, tearing it off, throwing it away. Read some more, tear it off, throw it away. He doesn't care. And in essence, that's what the people just did to Jeremiah. He's telling them the truth of what God is saying about whether, the, whether they should stay in the land of Judah or whether they should uh, go to Egypt. And, and, and they're just tearing it off and they're burning it. They don't care. They're not listening to the advice. They're not taking into consideration even their statements of faith that they were going to listen to and do what he said. They're not paying attention to that. And so we get to Jeremiah chapter 45, beginning in verse 1. And it says this. The word of the Lord, or the word that Jeremiah the prophet spoke to Barak, the son of Neriah, when he wrote these words in a book at the dictation of Jeremiah, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to you, O Baruch, O Baruch, you said, woe is me, for the Lord has added sorrow to my pain. I am weary with my groaning and I find no rest. Anybody ever been there? I was already struggling and now this, I was already in pain and, and now more? That's where Baruch was. I've been there. I think we all have. Verse 4. Thus shall you say to him. So God is telling Jeremiah to say this. Thus says the Lord. Behold, what I have built, I am breaking down. Now he's, he's specifically talking about the land. But how many of you know that what we've built in our lives, God is sovereign and can break it down if he chooses to. And if we trust him, don't, in our core, don't we want him to break those things down? 
I am breaking down, and what I have planted, I am plucking up. That is the whole land. And do you seek great things for yourself? I'm not going to lie to you. When I read this verse this week, it literally knocked the breath out of me. And this doesn't, this rarely happens. I always, I'm usually engaged in scripture when I'm reading it. But rarely do I read a verse and it cut me so, so strongly to my core that it takes my breath away. And do you seek great things for yourself? Seek them not. For behold, I am bringing disaster upon all flesh, declares the Lord. But I will give you your life as a prize of war in all places to which you may go. Isn't a lot of our frustration and disappointment because we're seeking what we want rather than being content with what God wants? So when we're seeking direction, when we're wanting to know which way to go, when we understand that a lack of faith is not good, it leads to disaster and all those things, um, it leads to dangerous places, but so does faith. Here is Barak, and he has faith. Here is Jeremiah, and they, he has faith. And Jeremiah's life is constantly in danger. He's constantly being dragged somewhere he doesn't want to be. He's being thrown in prison. He's being thrown in a cistern. And here's Barak who has got already in pain. And he's saying, why are you putting more pain on top of me? And that brings us to our final point. When living by faith, continuously die to self. Daily. When we're making choices. When we're trying to live the way that God has desired for us to live. We have to constantly say, God, your will be done. God, what, what is your desire? And as we're waiting for his answer, and as we're promising him that if you will just tell me, I'll follow through. When he tells us, we better be ready to follow through. And it's going to take dying to self. But, our last sub-point here. This will lead to life. When we die to ourselves, this will lead to life. In, in Barak's case, it literally meant to his life being physically preserved on this earth for the time being. But even more than the temporal blessings that we receive on this side of eternity, our works will be blessed. That we're not saved because of our works. We don't get into heaven because of our works. But God will say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We do see rewards being given for works in heaven. Now, heaven is great for all of us, and the people who get the rewards turn around, and seemingly, when we see those rewards given in any way in Revelation, they place their crowns at the feet of Jesus. And so it's just another opportunity for us to worship and follow him. But, we live by faith, continuously die to self, and this will lead to life. And so, uh, just quickly reviewing those points um, when we're looking at how a lack of faith leads to dangerous places, but so does faith. Uh, when given options, choose what best glorifies God. If, if that's unclear after prayer, use wisdom. When given advice, listen carefully, even if it's not what you want to hear. 
Advice is not always helpful, but sometimes it's life-giving. And number three, when making statements of faith, follow through. Uh, as long as it's faith in God and what honors Him. And then the last one again. When living by faith, continuously die to self, this will lead to life. So this sermon covered all these chapters. And it's beginning to wrap up Jeremiah, where we have been. And Jeremiah doesn't just get to live happily ever after. Not yet, anyway, in this, in this part of the story. Of course, there's eternity. And so, sometimes when you preach a sermon like this, it's not the most hoorah, like, woohoo, let's go to the nations and make him known. And it's not that fun, necessarily, to preach a sermon like this. But there's so much depth in these chapters. There's so much truth in these chapters. And I encourage you to go back and read these. And as we close, I just want to ask you, have you been listening to advice? Have you been truly seeking the Lord and praying about how to respond in certain situations? Um, for a lot of us, we've been driven to prayer because of the craziness around us. And are we making statements of faith that God will do whatever you, wherever you lead? Because if we're going to do that, we've got to be ready to die to self. And so where are we today? Where are you? What does God desire from us? A lot of what he desires, we can clearly know. Because his word is clear. But then there are some times in life when we're faced with situations when we're not sure what to do. And when there's a process of how we go, what we go through to try to determine where God is leading and are we ready to follow him wherever he leads? That's the question for all of us. And so, as I pray and as we dismiss, I want to make it clear that if any of you guys need to talk, then feel free to reach out to me. You, you can find me before we leave, uh, or you can call me this week. And if, if you don't have my number, just call the church and the family will make sure you have it. If you want to talk to Daniel um, with him being here now, then feel free to call and we'll get you in touch with him. But we want to make sure that we're here for you because we have choices to make all of us. And are we making the choice that God desires for us to make? And sometimes we don't know the answer. Even after the prayer, even after the seeking, we just have to use our best wisdom. Um, but we trust God and we honor him, we follow him. He's, he's going to do what's best. And if we make a mistake in that, He's a merciful God. And if, if we're truly striving to follow Him, of course there's forgiveness, even if we're not truly striving to follow Him and we go to Him in repentance. Um, but if we, we're truly trying to follow Him and we make that error, he's, he's going to continue to walk with us. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. And we just pray that as we go our separate ways, that you would just bless us and that you would help us to know how to do what we need to do and what it is that we need to do. And, Lord, sometimes life can be so confusing. There's so many different options and valleys and, and mountaintops and roadblocks and all of those things that we experience in life. And so when we come to a place where we don't know what to do, I pray that you would give us clear direction, that you would give us peace, that you would give us the discipline to follow through, that you would give us the ability to, um, to truly honor you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.